You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Dear J.R. Saywood and the rest of the Bruce Bloxleitner team, just listening to your latest podcast on the eight years of gridlock, Lee mentioned that on a visit to Melbourne he didn't see or hear much about Doctor Who. We were very disappointed that Lee did not reach out to us during his visit to Melbourne for him to buy us a couple of beers at least. There are a few sci-fi, or as they are now called pop culture, speciality stores in Melbourne, where they are still attempting to shift vast quantities of Laszlo and the granny whose face was sucked off by the wire, character options figurines for under $10. I think Sharak Jizz is going to have a little bit of fun with that one. And the DVDs are always available at many a CD DVD chain around the country. There is also considerable merchandise at ABC shops around the place. JR also stated that Doctor Who was shown primarily on pay TV in Australia. That is not entirely correct. The Australian Broadcasting Corporation has been regularly showing the series from 1965. New Who is regularly repeated and Series 8 was simulcast with the UK screening at the ungodly hour of 5.30am, all on our main free-to-air channel. There are additional repeats of both Classic and New Who on pay TV. I am unable to offer any viewpoints on the Canadian Doctor Who viewing experience, but from a musical point of view, they have never scaled the heights of Men Without Hats safety dance and continue to inflict Nickelback on the rest of the world, for which I can never forgive them. If you want to hear our opinions on Gridlock, please listen to our new Who underrated Top 5 podcast. Plug, plug. Best to you all, and we will speak again soon. From Mark and Rob of the 42 to Doomsday podcast in Melbourne, Australia. I also heard from Rob Irwin of the Who Wars podcast, who had this to say. Hi JR, thanks for reading my email on the latest show. One comment in the ensuing discussion was about Doctor Who in Australia, and in Canada I think, and the comment was made that it's on pay TV. While some pay TV channels have Doctor Who, generally older Doctor Who, First run Doctor Who in Australia, simulcast in recent times at the same time as the UK transmission, is on the ABC, our version of the BBC, a government-run, free-to-air station. Thanks, Rob, and thanks, Mark and Rob. Thank you all for pointing out that I messed up. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark from 42 to Doomsday. Hi, I'm Rob from 42 to Doomsday. Hi, I'm Rob from Who Wars. Oh, and thank you. You've now joined me just to rub in how much I messed up. Thanks, guys. What great letters. Well, the thing is, I was planning to do this anyway after doing the Friends podcasts for uh, other podcasters in Great Britain. It was always my intention to have one for Australia too, where I'd get you three guys on to talk about the Australian Doctor Who viewing experience. And once I made that cock up, 
and your emails came in, I thought, what a better time than to do it now. Hi, guys. Hi, JR. Hello. Are you Hi, all? JR. Are you all well? Extremely well. And are you... very cold. <laughs> oh, you're cold, even though you've just had the end of summer. Yeah, it's about fifteen degrees and raining at the moment. No, summer drops off the cold. cliff very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Does it really? Hmm. Oh wow. Well, there's look, no, there's no there's no long long tail to summer here in Australia, especially in Melbourne. It just sort of you know segues into off. autumn, and it gets cold very quickly. Mm. And, uh, and I suppose then at this time of year you're getting Doctor Who during the cold and darker months. Yes, uh, August it starts, isn't it? So yes, tail end of winter coming into spring. So yeah, but we th- do. There are the repeats, aren't there? Oh, the repeats are on uh, at ABC, uh, ABC Two at the moment, I think, aren't they? So they're about seven thirty at night. So it is dark and wintry when they're on. Wow! So you get proper Doctor Who when it's dark, unlike us yeah. over here. But having I've... said that, and speaking of that, well, before we get into what watching Doctor Who has been like in Australia for the past forty years or however long since any of you might have first started watching it, if if any of you are unfortunate enough to be as old as I am, that is, Should we, well, when I did the Friends podcasts, the first one, we didn't get a chance to talk enough about the podcast, so I think what I should do is talk to you first about the podcasts. Rob from Who Wars, since there's only one of you, and this will be less confusing for both me and the listener and the two people talking, <laughs> tell me about Who Wars, why it started and how it's going. What what was your inspiration to start up a, a, a podcast about Doctor Who and Star Wars? Well, I'd been doing a podcast about comic books and specifically older comic books because all the comic book podcasts out there seem to be talking about new ones and no one was talking about, say, the further adventures of Indiana Jones from 1983 or, you know, the uh, Bill and Ted comics from the early 90s. So I started doing a a comic book show. But This is, just to interrupt just for a second, Mm. this is the complete opposite of Doctor Who podcasts who always talk about Doctor Who from the past, doesn't it? Yeah, (laughs) that's quite (laughs) odd. (laughs) So anyway, I made a a number of episodes of that, I think 20-something episodes, but I I wasn't feeling quite fulfilled by it, and I thought, oh, I should do a pop culture show, and then I thought, you know, if I do a pop culture show, I'll end up just talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who. I should just choose one or the other, because they're my two big passions in life. And I really, really couldn't decide. And then I thought, you know what, this is bonkers, but I think I might just mash them both together and see what happens, and... We're about 33 episodes in at the moment, and we're doing okay. That's... Actually, I can't work out whether that's madness or genius, because it has taken off pretty well, hasn't it? It has. It has. I'm lucky that a a number of people have come on and helped uh, build a little team. We've got about half a dozen people who contribute content. And we're in the style of an audio fanzine. We're not so much a discussion that has a linear start and finish. We're, we're little sections, so you can sort of dip in and listen to an interview or, or listen to a feature or whatever. You can go all over the place with the show notes. You don't actually have to listen to it as one complete podcast either, which I think does suit people who might be more into Star Wars or more into Doctor Who. In fact, yeah, it's a magazine show, in other words, basically. Features presented uh, uh, by, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find... That, because this is the odd thing, because I'm not much of a Star Wars fan myself, 
you know, obviously I've seen the films and some of them I like more than others. I wouldn't say I dislike any of them, but I also, by the same token, I wouldn't say I love any of them. Do you find from your feedback that people in the same sort of boat as me are fast forwarding through the Doctor Who bits to get to the Star Wars bits or vice versa? Or do you find that most of your listeners actually will listen through the whole thing? It's interesting. It's a mixed bag. I mean, there's a comedian in Melbourne called Steel Saunders. He is very into Star Wars. He has a Star Wars podcast. Um, but even he will listen to the Doctor Who bits, and he's even commented, I think, on our iTunes feedback that he'll still listen to the Doctor Who bits even though he doesn't watch Doctor Who. Uh, on the flip side, I do find a lot of the Star Wars fans tend to be more dismissive of the Doctor Who stuff, perhaps rather than vice versa. I think the Doctor Who fans tend to like the Star Wars stuff as well. That's just anecdotal. I guess, it, actually, it does... Star Wars is way more universal than Doctor Who, being a huge movie series. So I guess that if you're a Doctor Who fan, chances are you'd be a Star Wars fan as well, whereas it might not work the other way around. Exactly, yeah. Well, Rob and Mark, 42 to Doomsday. How did it start? Why did it start? Do you enjoy it? And how is it going? <laughs> It's torturous. I can't handle <laughs> working with Mark at all. <laughs> After recording, I go into my you know safety zone and just rock backwards and forth. No, it's actually a great deal of fun, uh, JR. Mark, you don't mind me speaking first, do you? No, go for it. Um, I had listened to a, a large number of Doctor Who podcasts for a couple of years before having the idea of, well, why don't I try and do a podcast? But being the sort of shy person that I am, I'm not a big person for public speaking at all. I thought it might be better and more safe to have someone who um, who uh, to, to partner with. Yeah. So Mark, uh, amongst my group of friends, was the one who seemed to be listening to more podcasts uh, than any, anyone else. So I, it might have been I might have floated the idea sort of past him uh, just to see if he was uh, if he was interested. And my recollection is uh, that that he obviously said yes. And then we sort of just got down to brass tacks and worked out how we would do it. The, the you know the mechanics of the software and the microphones and stuff like that. But I think part of the reason why I wanted to do it was I had things to say about Doctor Who. I, I had opinions that were sort of percolating in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's just like every other podcaster out there. Uh, we all think that our opinions are, are golden and should be shared with as many people as possible. And uh, it's, it's just been a great deal of fun. Well, the thing is, whatever your opinions are, the, you know, Doctor Who fandom is so widespread, there are bound to be plenty of other people who do share that opinion. And perhaps who want to hear it in a podcast because, you know, every single podcast is going to come from a different angle. So if if people find the podcast that appeals to their opinion, they're going to stick with you, aren't they? Well, that's true. But I, I always find it's often it's often interesting to listen to podcasts with a contrary position because it's very easy to fall, uh, to stay inside your own bubble yeah. and, and have, it's like an echo chamber in, in effect, and you have your own views reinforced where sometimes it's always good to, to be challenged uh, by, by differing opinions. And that often, uh, for me anyway, I sort of look at different things in, in, in a new light. Mark, did you two know each other personally then? We'd sort of known each other for about uh, on and off for 20 years. Wow. So, um, but we sort of lost touch for a while and uh, I sort of re-established a uh, connection with the group of friends we had mutual friends with. So, uh started drinking again, which is always a good way to reintroduce <laughs> yourself back in the social circles. And a social just, lubricant. Uh, a social <laughs> yeah. lubricant. So, um, I do remember the emails Rob and I were sending back to each other about, hey, how about doing a podcast? And we met, we met up in town and we sort of wrote a list of what we wanted to do and what we didn't want to do. 
and uh, it's just evolved from there. It's a good deal of fun. I mean, we've got a couple of segments we, we try it out every once in a while, and they get good reactions. So, um, you know, we've got good figures, and people seem to like what we're doing, and we're happy with what we're doing, so we'll just keep going. Do you, you do it by Skype, though, rather than um, doing it in person together in somebody's living room or something like that? Yeah, we do it but, by Skype simply, simply because um, we're forty minutes drive apart from one another. Yeah, Mel- Melbourne, Melbourne is famous for its urban sprawl, and I live on one side of the city, and uh, Mark lives obviously on another side of the city. So it's just through the miracle of technology, much much easier to uh, to hook up together, so to speak, mm. by Skype. Well, yeah, yeah, it would make your recording sessions more or less twice as long, I suppose, if you were actually to do it in person. Well, we'd, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to sort of sit down with Mark more frequently, you know, either side of a table and, and be able to have a chat because uh, Skype is good, obviously, for connecting people over long distances. But in terms of that sort of more intimate conversational feel, uh, mm. you can't beat being in the same room as beat being, beat being in the same room as someone anyway. So, yeah. But, you know, if we could do it, we'd do it, but uh, it's just you know difficult with families and travel and all that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. We've, we've got a few more unplugged sessions planned for this year, haven't we, Rob? We're uh, in the yes, same room together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'll be good. Rob, Rob, who was Rob? In terms, <laughs> well, in terms of your content, when you first started the podcast, did you have much? Because Rob and Mark have just said about they sat down together at the start to work out what they wanted to talk about. When you started Who Wars, did you have much of an idea about, you know, what the content would actually be? Or was it kind of a freeform thing where, okay, we'll take what we can get and we'll make it up as we go along? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, initially I knew I'd be on my own and I'd be making these little segments on my own. So I thought, well, what will work? Well, I'll think of like an old fanzine. I'll put some uh news at the front maybe with an editorial then i'll have some sort of feature thing then i'll have some reviews and then i'll have something to to close it out so i sort of used old fanzines as a guide and the only thing that's really changed over the last 30 episodes is i've dropped the news section as as we've got more people on and we're getting more feature type stuff and more interviews in particular uh news has gone the way of the dodo you know when i when i think of podcasts where you look back a year later yeah which is how some people do listen to podcasts news is is just fairly irrelevant so i've dropped that but otherwise it's pretty much based on on an old fanzine that's the trouble with news actually once it breaks on the internet everybody's already got their opinion on it within about half an hour so by the time it turns up on a podcast even if it's you know as close as two or three days later it's already old news isn't it really that's right. So I could give my spin on the news, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, no, it's not worth having any more for us. Now, your team is people from all across the world. How on earth, did you, how on earth did you assemble that team? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, well, some came to the show because they had listened to it and they wanted to contribute. The Rev, formerly of Diddly Dumb, was like that. He came to us while he was still on Diddly Dumb and said, I'd like to do some Star Wars stuff. And I said, sure, you know, because it was stuff he couldn't do on Diddly Dumb. Yeah. Others are people who I've noticed on Twitter in particular and thought, oh, they have an interesting blog or, oh, they just seem like an interesting person. And I've reached out and said to them, hey, have you ever thought of taking that blog you've just written on that new Star Wars book or whatever and just saying it into a microphone and I can actually use that as content on the show? And more often than not, they've said, oh, no, I never thought of that, and I'd love to. And that's how I've got a lot of people, just by reaching out to people who I think have some talent and maybe haven't podcast at all, and uh, it's worked really well so far, actually. 
which is surprising because you think if someone hasn't podcast, there might be a reason why they haven't done it. They yeah, might yeah. want to. But the people are so keen to do it if you actually just reach out and ask. And also on our website, we say if anyone wants to contribute to the show, we'd love that because we have a format where someone can just ramble on for five minutes about something, send it to me. And if it's, you know, halfway decent, I'll throw it into the show. You know, it's real grassroots podcasting. Do you ever get stuff you can't use then? I never have. Oh, that's no. brilliant. I tell you I what. I never, ever have. Doing the You and Who books, I've had exactly the same thing. You start one of these books, and of course, it's all essays that people send in to me, and you get the fear of God that somebody's going to send in something so awful that you're going to have to turn around and say, I just can't use it. But, you know, touch yeah. wood, people send in brilliant essays. People up think... their, they up their game. If they know they're going to be in a book or on a podcast that people can listen to, they up their game, don't they? That's what I was going to say. You know, yeah. I think people take a lot of care when they write into you or send stuff to us or whatever. Yeah, they really do up their game. Mark and Rob, you quite frequently have guests too. Was that something that you'd planned from the start? And how did you go about sorting that out? That was mainly people that you already knew from what I gather. We had, uh, when we defined our approach for the podcast, I had a phase one, phase two, and phase three part of the plan. So phase one <laughs> was actually getting getting the thing live and um, starting getting, you know, obviously listeners. But phase two was, yes, we'll start introducing um, some guests on the show and who who hadn't been on podcasts before. Yeah. Um, and also, as Rob said before, challenge ourselves. So I think Rob and I have very similar views. So get somebody else on the podcast who has a different point of view, just to um, that would be me. ourselves a bit. It would be you, yes. <laughs> so you're, you're overdue for a return bout, I think. Um, yeah, so, you know, we've got uh, a friend of ours, Richard Nolan, who's extensive merchandising um, expertise. So we've got him on. We've got a uh, friend of ours, Rob Lloyd, is a local comedian in Melbourne. He's been on a few Doctor Who podcasts as well. So, yeah, we're st- and we've got a podcast coming up where we're inviting uh, a couple of, like a diddly dumb almost, where we're inviting uh, re- uh, people who've written into us to, to come onto the show. So, yeah, I think that the, the guest thing was sort of, if they've got something to say, well, we'll get them on, definitely. And lately you've had interviews also with people like Richard Marson, Andrew Smith, yes? Yeah, yes. Uh- yeah. How has it been doing those? It's been uh, for me for, for me for me personally. It's it's been a bit nerve wracking because uh, you know Andrew Smith is uh, we, we all know Andrew yeah. Smith. He's got a you know a, a, an extensive history with the show and and Richard Marsden just just listening to him. I mean he could talk for England basically. Yeah. Um, mm. But no, in terms of having them on, they've you know they've been great. They've been you know personable, friendly. Uh, willing to chat, you know, willing to, to to speak to two strangers on the other side of the world. So, mm. uh, as as Mark said, I mean, for, for me especially, it's speaking to complete strangers um, about their topics of expertise has been uh, nerve wracking. But I mean, coming at the other end of it, I've I've been really pleased and and how it all turned out. So, I mean, having mm. them on, I mean, that, they've obviously been on different podcasts and they've got uh, you know, Richard's obviously got his books to push and all that sort of thing. But I, I think the value in that for us is, you know, having differing points of view and, and being able to sort of say to our listeners, look, you know, we've got these gentlemen on or these people on and uh, have a listen to it because they often give uh, an interesting and fascinating, fascinating viewpoint. And especially having Andrew Smith on, I mean, I'd never heard about his 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 real job in effect beforehand and, uh, and the fact that he's now retired from it. So that was an interesting insight into his life. Mm-hmm. 
they one great thing about those especially those two chaps is they'll come on and they'll just talk about anything so the conversation's pretty free-flowing and gets into some fascinating stuff exactly yeah, it was exactly yeah, I mean, absolutely who else have you got uh, anybody planned for the near future then or uh, we've got Paul Schoons, who edited the uh, TSV New Zealand fanzine. He's coming on in early July. Uh, we're going to talk about fanzines, funnily enough. Oh, wow. Uh, we've, been, we've been involved in fanzines. Um, well, I started getting involved writing fanzines about in the early 90s, and same with Rob. And um, so we're getting Paul on because TSV from New Zealand was one of the greatest fanzines, I, I, I thought. So he's coming on for a chat. Um, we've got... We have recorded something secret. We can't release that yet, though, so we can't oh, talk about that. If you tell yet. me, I'll edit it out. I'm just I'll kidding. I don't do editing. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't. That's why I'm not mentioning it. Um, I think, yeah, Paul Schoon's definitely in July. Uh, Rob Lloyd's coming back on in August. Uh, probably get you on as well, JR. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not um, going to say no. I think it's about it, really. We, we tried to, I suppose... Uh, get different people on who necessarily don't go podcasting. So as I said, we've got David Kitchen, who writes to um, 42 and also to the Blue Box. He's coming on uh, to our diddly dumb style uh, episode in a couple wow. of weeks. So oh, be that'll be fascinating. Well. I can't yeah. wait to hear that. Yeah. So Rob from Who Was, guests, Hello. guest interviewees. You, you, that's something that you've been up to as well. Who, who have you had on and how has it been? Well, we've put out an episode today that's got Peter Harness on it, who, of course, wrote Kill the Moon. Uh, that, that was very exciting for me to, to be on there. We've had Andrew Smith on, who we've just mentioned. Yeah. We've had a number of the Doctor Who comic book people on as well, like uh, Simon Fraser, who's an artist, and we've had Caven Scott, who's a writer. And uh, also in today's episode, too, we've got Rachel Smith, who does this funny one-page comic at the back of the Tenth Doctor comic book from uh, Titan Comics. She does this funny one-page comic where the Tenant Doctor has... He misses Rose, so he's replaced Rose with a cat. And the cat <laughs> sort of gives him advice and things like this. And that's that's very funny. And uh, most of those have been done by... Uh, by Andy or, or the Rev, uh, because he's in the UK, so he's yeah. in the right time zone to grab them for us. And then we have uh, a bunch of stuff more on the Star Wars side, and that's been done by one of our team members, Kate, because she's in the US and can go to conventions and so on. Indeed, she's just been at Phoenix Comic Con this weekend, speaking to the likes of Paul Cornell and Chuck Wendig, who's just written the new Star Wars novel that tells us what happened after Return of the Jedi, and all of this great stuff, and she'll be compiling those, and they'll be in our episode in about a fortnight's time. So yeah, we're getting some great interviews at the moment. I, one question then, are you all enjoying it? Are you all enjoying being podcasters? Absolutely. The, the four hours of editing I had to do yesterday, I'm not especially enjoying, but since it was <laughs> raining, I, I suppose it was well worth being inside. No, it's just great to talk. It's great to catch up with Mark. I mean, we email during the during the day at work, but it's always good to talk to Mark and, and, and get other people on and, and have a chat about Doctor Who. I have to mm, say, actually, right. yeah, that's true for us as well. It, when we do a podcast, it's like a catch-up session. Yeah, that's, that's right. exactly right. I mean, I mean, formerly we'd used to assemble at, a, at the nearest pub and and, and booze on and talk about, <laughs> well, initially Doctor Who, but then everything else under the sun. But uh, the mm. internet being what it is, it, you can you can do this sort of thing as well. Right. Speaking of Doc, oh, sorry, was I interrupting somebody there? No, but I will jump in and say something yeah, go else. On. I actually like the production side of the podcast. 
And in fact, on Who Wars, I'm turning to sort of more of a host who pops up at the beginning and end. And more of what I do increasingly is the offline stuff where I'm producing it all. And I actually quite like that. It's a it, with a different format like that, a magazine format. You can actually have a bit of fun with how you put it together and how you link it, bits of music that you stick in. It can mm. that can be entertaining in itself, can't it? Putting it together. Oh, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we had an episode a couple of weeks back where I sat down with one of the girls on the team and we we chatted about Eleventh Doctor episodes. And during the conversation, at one stage, she uh, she referred to crickets. And so, of course, I just grabbed the cricket sound effect and suddenly that's playing in the background. And, you know, you get to do all sorts of fun stuff, depending on how much time you've got to produce it, of course. Sometimes you're just banging it out trying to meet the deadline. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Do you do I much... Mu- Sorry. Go on, no, go say, ahead. I, I stick uh, 80s musical references in our episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I like those. <laughs> there's, another, there's another one coming up this week. You'll love it. Cool. <laughs> Um, Mark, Rob from 42, you edit quite significantly during the course of a podcast. Is there a reason for that? Just to keep the time down? or Not all of it's... us are as silver-tongued as yourself, JR, so frequently... No. Um, There's nothing I, I silver-tongued was... about me, <laughs> as Lee will, will frequently... quite happily tell you. <laughs> I, I will frequently stumble over my words or, or, or lose the train of my thoughts, so... We uh, yeah. we ha- occasionally have to step in and, and just tidy that up. So uh, I, I understand if people think that sometimes it may feel overproduced in terms of the editing's a bit too tight, which is probably down to me more than Mark. I don't but, think you uh, can tell, actually. The only reason I know is because I've been on a couple of times. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. The, the, the toilet breaks gave it away, didn't they, JR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There'll probably be another one of those in a few minutes. <laughs> just kidding. How about we'll you? Put half music on. About Who Wars, do you edit the stuff that comes in on Who Wars, or does that pretty much go out as it comes in? It comes in 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 varying degrees of uh, production. I guess Andy's are probably the most produced, because he does a lot of sound effects and background music of his own, so he's already had to produce it by uh, way of what he wants to achieve. Some of the other material that comes in, depending on how it comes in, I mean, Kate was sending me stuff from Phoenix Comic Con this weekend, where it was just raw. You could hear the crowd in the background. You know, she'd stumble over a sentence here and then say, okay, stop, let's redo that. And so I was actually cutting her audio by necessity because she couldn't be doing that from the show floor. Yeah. Other people send stuff in and it's quite good, but there may be a, a little bit too much of a pause here and there, so I'll just trim that down. But that's pretty much all I do. I, I tend to boost the volume a bit on some people just to try and equalise the volume across the podcast. I mean, yeah. It's really geeky, yeah. nerdy stuff, but, you know, just simple stuff, really. So that in the end, when it comes down to it, when people listen to it, you have kind of a, a consistent feel across the entire hour and a half or two and a half hours, however long. That's right. And once it's all stuck together, I do a bass and treble on it and I compress it and I normalize it and do all those kinds of tricks. So it, it, I hope it's fairly uniform when people listen to it. You know, that's something Mark, are I... you taking notes? Yeah, I normalize gonna... <laughs> it as well, Rob, actually. I normalize as well, actually. Oh, okay. I... Sorry. I don't. I really should start doing that. I, right. Message to myself. I've got to start doing that. Because, you know, ours are quite inconsistent sometimes. Should and you we... know, another great thing. Oh, yeah, go sorry, on. No, 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 go thing. ahead. 
is to uh, so many people record in stereo and stereo is lovely but for voice mono is good enough yeah and it makes a huge difference in the size of the mp3 files when you're downloading other people's podcasts exactly and also for the listeners as well funnily enough if you have stereo files to work from that can can cause a few um effects between you know the production of the podcast and people listening to it on their iPods. We had trouble early on, which was, um, you know, something, a problem of our own making. But uh, one recommendation that people will give you is if you're doing a podcast to go out an iPod or whatever, do it in mono. Because if people are listening to it in their cars, they're going to be sitting much closer to one speaker. And if the people are listening to it at headphones on the way to work or from work or whatever, if it's in stereo, you may lose some things due to background noise and that kind of thing. So mono does seem to be... This is turning into production 101 for people who want to start <laughs> podcasts, isn't it? <laughs> it should, is, we, should we talk about Doctor Who? Actually, I was going yes. to ask a question of, of oh, all go of us before we do that. Yeah, go ahead. Has... Has uh, being involved in the Doctor Who podcast um, stopped you listening to many other Doctor Who podcasts or other podcasts in general? I, for me, I listen to mm. more. I didn't listen to any before we started, and now I'm a regular listener to quite a few. I think, I, do, do you, you know, to go on from that question, does it affect mm. the way you do it? Affect the way mm. I do it? That's yeah. A, that's a good question, actually. Um... I think we, we look. We try and be as individual as we can, and try and do a different product. But I think all of us take a bit of inspiration from uh, subliminally, really, just listening to others and say, "Oh, yeah. you know, that, that bit's quite good." Or, I mean, I've heard, you know, I'm not going to float my boat, but I've heard bits of pieces we've done on other podcasts, and that's fine, you know, in terms of sound effects and scapes and stuff like that. I'm not saying we're, you know, we're the original, but you know, I think some of the things we've done. Have, permeated to other podcasts and that's fine that's what it is about it's all, it's all about isn't it fan it's about sharing and and caring do you find it uh go on sorry we should go back to the original question do you listen go on mark do you listen to a lot of other podcasts then uh i've actually st- i used to listen to about 20 or 30 uh in over a course of a month but actually i have stopped mainly because of work but also um, it has had an effect in terms of uh, I just don't want to listen to many. I think it's about five or six I regularly listen to now. Yeah. Um, but I also listen to I've, I've expanded other things like I listen to retro gaming podcasts, music, film, um, just to try and get a bit you know a bit of a change. Yeah, a bit more variety. What about yeah, a bit you? More variety. Rob from Forty Two, you listen to much, and does it affect the way, perhaps, that you talk about things, the things that you choose to say? Because I, f- I find that listening to podcasts sometimes, I will be in the middle of saying something, and I'll just kind of stop myself and say, right, maybe I shouldn't go quite as far as I was going to, and I should temper myself because you know that's how people do it elsewhere. Do you ever find that happens? Well, much like Mark, I've found that uh, the number of Doctor Who podcasts that I listen to has declined dramatically since we started doing 42 to Doomsday. Uh, That may be because we're so steeped in Doctor Who that we don't want to listen to too much else of it. I mean, I do listen to a few other uh, Doctor Who podcasts, but nowhere near as many. And like Mark... I listen to just other podcasts, politics or or, uh, or history or or film or um, you know or books or stuff like that, just to, to pad the day out. But in terms of of do I change or have I changed my approach or opinion? Not really. I mean, the sort of podcasts or Doctor Who podcasts that I do do 
uh, do listen to are the sort of the conversational stuff uh, of the conversational kind that Mark and I do anyway. Yeah. So sometimes you, you sort of, you know, you're, you find your opinions either sort of challenged or reinforced. Uh, so do I take a step back because I, I think that it's been covered elsewhere or I don't want to go too far? Probably not. I mean, I you know, I, I pan the table, the pan the desk occasionally, um, but <laughs> but, um, but but no, no. I I find that uh, sometimes it's a process of osmosis. I suppose that your your opinions are influenced. But uh, no, I I um I tend to uh, I go my own way as as much as I can. So Rob from Who Wars? Do you? I'm I'm guessing that you also listen to other podcasts as well. I do. While you've been talking, I pulled up my phone to remind myself of what I listened to. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I tend to listen to more Doctor Who than Star Wars podcasts. And of the Doctor Who ones I listen to, it's more uh, podcasts from people I know and have a relationship with. So I can listen right. to it and then email them or say something on social media and have that sort of reaction and feedback. Some of the bigger shows, particularly some of the big Star Wars shows, they're great. They sound like FM radio. They're amazing. But the uh, the hosts are a bit detached. So right, yeah. You, you, it's just like watching television. You can't, you know, readily converse with someone on, on television. They're more like that. I like grassroots podcasting i like people i can talk to so that's who i tend to listen to but i also listen to history podcasts i mean dan carlin's hardcore history is awesome uh the dollop is very very rude that's u.s history it's two (laughs) comedians who who tell terrible stories from history but it's fantastic uh i listen to a julius caesar podcast and alexander the great podcast which i actually pay for it's that good wow and i listen to alec baldwin's here's the thing where he talks to um artists and policy makers as he likes to announce them on the show oh wow do you find listening to other podcasts affects the way you produce who wars then i think you know, I mentioned those big US Star Wars type ones that sound like FM radio. I think they've influenced me in some ways. Like I've gone on uh, Fiverr.com and got people to make up little stings and so on. And our theme music has always been bespoke. We used one tune for uh, 30 odd episodes and now we've started using a new one. Completely bespoke because I thought, well, I can't use the Doctor Who music. I can't use the Star Wars music. What do I do? I'll get someone to write something. Yeah. And that's what I did. I, I went on Fiverr <clears throat> and I found some songwriters and they made me some tunes. And uh, our current one, the heavy metal theme we have at the moment, isn't as popular as our old one. But um, what Star I Wars I or Doctor Who? <laughs> that, that, that's the old one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have a new one with a big searing guitar solo. Sounds a bit like Muse or Van Halen or something. Um which I find hilarious. My wife just rolls her eyes at me every time she walks past and hears it. <laughs> okay, I've got a question for all three of you. Rob from Who mm. Wars, you've got to go first. So here's the question, the big question, Star Wars or Doctor Who? It's Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like I should be saying this publicly, but yeah, it's, it is Doctor Who. <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> go on then, Mark. Star Wars or Doctor Who? I think oh, the opposite. Doctor Who. Yeah, and I'm guessing Doctor Rob. Who. Rob from Forty Two, you'll be Doctor Who as well, I'd assume. I, I worked for in, for two years in a Forbidden Planet style uh, sh- shop here in, in Melbourne, <laughs> and we had a lot of Star Wars fans come come through, which only reinforced my inkling uh, inclination towards Doctor Who. So, uh, yeah, Doctor <laughs> Who. I can't believe you've said that. <laughs> Did you work at Minotaur, Rob? I did. I did for two years from, oh, was it uh, late 94 to early 90, 
uh, sorry, late 94 to early 97. That is a fantastic shop. It's not often a Sydney cider will say something's good in Melbourne, but it is a fantastic <laughs> shop. Look, wow. I've been to Sin City. I've been to Sin City, and I, it's, it can stay there. That's all I can say. <laughs> Sydney oh, House and the rocks are okay, but the rest of it can, yeah. <laughs> wow, Australian <laughs> geographical politics on the Blue Box podcast. I wasn't expecting this when I started today. That's why we haven't appeared in each other's podcasts yet. It'll just be slaving up for, the, for an hour and a half. <laughs> okay, here's, right. here's another question for you then. I'm going to come to Rob from 42 first with this one. Mm-hmm. Classic series or new series? Oh, look, very much classic series, JR. Yeah, uh, I, I do. Know. I do occasionally like the new series, and I especially like the the, the direction in, in last year's uh, season. But I'm, you know, growing up in the seventies, watching uh, Doctor Who on the ABC, you know, Monday to Thursday, almost year in year out. Uh, weaned uh, on Doctor Who, uh, you know, in Pertwee and uh, and Tom Baker, so very much classic series. But I certainly, being even handed, can see the merits in the new series. When right, going back to the ABC then in the seventies. Um... How old were you when you first saw Doctor Who? Do you remember? Can you remember what it was? Um, my earliest... It, it, the problem is that your your memories sort of get tied up in a multitude of repeats. Yeah. So my earliest memories, I think, was watching uh, The Time Warrior in colour, which would have meant it had to have been sometime after 1975. And I know my parents bought a colour television in the mid-70s. So that episode where Lynx is unmasked, uh, that is my earliest memory of Doctor Who, uh, and I do recall that because as soon as he was unmasked, I ran out of the house uh, into the garden where my father was with uh, his his father and brother and some relatives because I was absolutely terrified of of Lynx's face. So I'm thinking seventy five, seventy six. Wow, right. which would have been four. I would have been four. I would have been four or five. Okay, this is going to be the part of the conversation where we talk about the three of you watching Doctor Who in Australia as you were growing up. So, uh, you know, I'll ask specific questions to specific people, but feel free to jump in as much as you like with your memories. And, uh, you know, if you can corroborate what everybody else has been saying. But I will ask you the same question, Mark. Classic series or new? Classic series for me, all the way. And Rob from Who Wars, classic series or new? Classic for me as well. So you're all big classic series fans because that's where you came in, I'm assuming. So that's Mark, right. Mark, Rob from Who Wars, similar story for you, 1970s, Mark? ABC, 1970s repeats? BBC, 1978 for me, because uh, I was living in North Wales at the time with my parents. Oh, really? And, wow. Yeah, my first memory of Doctor Who was actually, I think it was episode two of The Pirate Planet when... Uh, that speedboat starts lifting up into uh, the stratosphere. So that was my earliest memory. And then I can remember watching City of Death. And I think it might have been, I can't remember if, if it was the original transmission or the summer repeat of 1980. Yeah. Because I was watching it and all of a sudden there's a big commotion in, in the kitchen. And I said to my brother, what's going on? I said, oh, my grandparents just found out we're moving to Australia. <laughs> so was, uh, so that's, that was my abiding memory of City of Death. And um, so when we moved over here in uh, December 1980, I didn't know about Doctor Who was on the ABC. I only found out about it by chance. I was switching. It was in 1982 or three, I think. And I was switching over the dials. And all of a sudden, I see uh, Tristan Farnan running around Amsterdam with Rice Krispies on his face. And I said, what the heck is this? 
and uh, realised once the episode had finished, it was um, it was Doctor Who, it was Ark of Infinity. So, uh, and then I became a regular a regular watch, and of course we had Pertwee repeats all the time, and Tom Baker repeats all the time. So just that affection and love towards a classic series was just reinforced. It never <laughs> stopped. It just felt like it never stopped. <laughs> when you saw Peter Davison, then were you aware yeah. it was the same program that you'd seen Tom Baker in? No. No, I wasn't. I wasn't until at the end when uh, the theme music crashed in. I said, "What the hell kicks this music?" Oh, it's it's Doctor Who. So uh, yeah, it didn't. No, it didn't click at all. Because I actually, when season eighteen was on in the UK, the reason why I didn't watch it was because I was too busy watching Buck Rogers on the other channel. Oh wow! So that's quite yeah. an admission to make. And I'm sorry. And actually, uh, I bought on eBay a few months ago, and Rob will, Rob will know this. Oh, my Rob, anyway. Uh, remember the Buck Rogers Starfighters? I bought one in a box on eBay for about 70 bucks, and it's pristine. Anyway. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's a life-size Wilma Deering doll you can buy. But that's I'll, another story. I'll, I'll, I'll look at that <laughs> offline. <laughs> a Sherrick Jizz might have one to sell. Yeah, it, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Probably, probably needs a repair kit. <laughs> a puncture repair kit perhaps or? puncture repair kit yeah that's right <laughs> oh my god do not go down that route Just I'm that... working blue again folks sorry <laughs> okay Rob from Who Wars do you remember your first story and how old you were and where you were you know I don't remember the story I wrote about this in the very first You and Who book actually Yeah, I remember the uh, the secondary room at our old house so it was definitely pre-1980 i can i can take it back there it would be the late 70s because i was born in 75 so it's probably like 79 or something like that young and i remember my brother sitting me down saying now listen listen to this watch this and the theme music started would have been a tom baker episode i'm sure i just fled the room i was terrified of the music (laughs) and that's my first (laughs) memory of doctor who no idea what the story was i was out of there the music was too scary how long then do you think before you came back and actually sat down and watched an episode? I started watching, I can remember episodes from say 82, 83, 84, because we, in Australia, we had it every day of the week and it was always teamed up with something else I wanted to watch, like the goodies or Q with Spike Milligan or Kenny even Everett some homegrown. Well? Oh, there was Kenny Everett as well. That's yeah, right. That was great. And, uh, there were some homegrown productions. I mean, do you guys remember Sweet and Sour about that band? Yeah, the takeaways. Yes. Takeaways. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Right. <laughs> yeah, JR's gone. What are you guys on about? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. You're right. And there's another one. <laughs> look it up, look it up on YouTube, JR. Yeah. Sweet and Sour about a fan sounds uh, enthralling. <laughs> it was about an 80s, 80s pop band. And remember that there was another one, Rob, called Home? Remember that? Home, yes. Home, yeah, yes. it was in a, an orphanage. <laughs> Sounds a bit depressing, actually, but no, it was actually quite a good show because a girl I used to go to school with, she um, she was uh, starting out being an actor and uh, she had a couple of episodes in that. But like Rob was saying earlier, it's very hard, too, with the number of repeats we had. Everything gets mashed together. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and my brother, I have an older brother, he's 10 years older than me, so he, he had money and things, and he started buying BBC videos by the mid-'80s. So when you talk about something like Brain of Morbius or Revenge of the Cybermen, did I see it in the early-'80s, the mid-'80s? Did I see it on video? I have no idea. Things don't really clarify for me until about 86, 87. 
Oh, go on then. What happened in around that time? That was that like the hiatus and the Colin Baker. Was that when you first started to sort of really take notice of Doctor Who as a kind of uh, from a more production sense rather than a just there it is. It's on the telly sense, as it were. It it was because it was in '86 that I started buying Doctor Who magazine, right? Uh, and yeah. sort of reading behind the scenes and getting into it. And then we had Trial of a Time Lord Air in early '87 here. And uh, that's the era where I was really getting into it. And it was because I was buying Doctor Who magazine. That's right. And then soon after joining a local fan club and making my own fanzine and off it went, I went crazy after that. Uh, so, yeah, about 86, 87 for me. You must have been pretty... What was your fanzine called? Yeah. I was Sorry, gonna... Rob. And I was, was going to say, you called? must have been pretty young as well doing that too. I was. I was. But I've always loved that sort of stuff. And and again, using my brother, he had a typewriter, so I could use that. And I had a friend who used to love chopping up his Doctor Who magazines for photos. So I used to borrow them and put them in my paste-ups and things like that. Unbelievable. And um, uh, the first one I made was called Dragonfire. So again, this would have been once Sylvester was in. And then after a few issues that I changed the name to Wall Scroll and made a few issues of that. Oh, so they're very much influenced by that first Sylvester McCoy series, the titles. That, that's right. I was that was the new stuff, so that's what I was getting into. Yeah, actually, that with its sort of graphic novel influence, that Sylvester McCoy, that first series in particular, but the second one as well. There are lots of great, really sort of imaginative imagery and some of the phrasing and some of the names and things like that, isn't there? There is, and even just some of the scenes like that. Uh, in Delta and the Bannerman, what's that place where the bus is at the start? It's like a bus stop, but it's an intergalactic bus stop. Oh, oh I know what you mean. Like galactic tollway, tall tall isn't it? Yeah. 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 I would look at, I would just look at those scenes and I'd imagine whole worlds created around that tollway there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it just, it was very inspiring to me at that age. I was, I was very intrigued by it. Backtracking slightly to the seventies then, uh, or back to when you very first, all first started watching it. Was it, okay, perhaps not so much for you, Mark, but once you get to Australia, was it something that most kids watched or would you be the odd one out in the classroom for watching Doctor Who? Anybody, jump in. I'll jump in. Odd one uh, Yeah. Go on, Rob I'll, from 42, go on. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, my memory is I had a, a couple of friends who were uh, interested in Doctor Who. We were, I, I do recall we would, uh, me and my two friends were talking about the five doctors uh, coming up in uh, in in eighty three, but back back in the late seventies, um, I do recall one of my friends at primary school uh, saying to me while he was visiting uh, one one afternoon that he never watched Doctor Who. His parents had banned him from watching it because it was too frightening, and I think this was uh, as an episode of Planet of the Spiders was going out. That's my recollection. So there there were some people who probably wanted to watch it, but their parents were were definitely dead set against it. But no, it wasn't, I don't believe it was, or I don't recall anyway, it was a widespread thing amongst my schoolmates. There was probably just a, a few a few kids uh, in the class who, who watched it along with me. Okay, Mark. I was the odd one out. Uh, when, I moved, when I moved over here, I think there's maybe only one or two kids in my, in my class used to watch it. But unfortunately, you know, when you're that young, you sort of slightly obsess about it. So if they liked it, I'd probably turn them off it because I kept talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I lost. Yeah. So basically, it was also very, uh, you didn't go around advertising it back then. Not like these days when I went to that Hooniverse convention a couple of weeks ago and everybody's embracing it, the cost dressing it and all the kids who went to it. If you tried doing that, 
you know, in the eighties, you'd get your head flushed down the toilet. Really, yeah, you kept you just kept it to yourself. It was like a, you know, a secret. And I, even to this day, if people toss start talking about Doctor Who, I have to. It's there's a bit of resistance from me to talk about it because you don't want to. I mean, people don't even know I do a podcast at work or anything like that. I just keep it separate. Wow. And even a lot of my friends don't either. But what was your first friend who did like Doctor Who? Then do you remember your first sort of? when you first started talking to somebody who did and was it maybe when you started getting involved with other fans and uh, the fan community i remember that one of the guys in primary school ironically his name was robert holmes so <laughs> <laughs> he then tried to convince me that he was related to the uh the, 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 the real one yeah the real one you know the not, not the double ganger but um did he I, get around I, with I, a pipe <laughs> no, not really. It's with a can of Coca Cola. Just kept drinking this stuff. <laughs> but it was a, a teacher at um, at primary school. He was uh, a member of the Doctor Who fan club of Victoria, and he gave me the detail. He showed me the magazine, and he gave me the details to write away. So I think I joined Victorian fandom about eighty four, just when um, Colin Baker was uh, making his debut over here. And I remember going to my very first Doctor Who Club meeting, and in the window was a sign saying "No Colin Baker fans allowed." So wow. I knew I'd, I knew I'd made it. <laughs> wow! <clears throat> what about you, Rob? Uh, you know, back when you were at school, were there other fans there? There um, were other fans. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, Rob. Who was I meant? Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be very confusing. confusing. Yeah. There were other fans, definitely. Uh, I had a very good friend at school who was a fan, but we were obviously, you know, in the minority, as you can tell from these other stories as well. It just wasn't cool at all. And when I think of the local fan group that we're in, it seemed there were a couple of people from each of the schools in the area, and they would come to this one group, and we'd all sort of hang out as a, as a bigger group and, uh, you know, <laughs> reminisce. <laughs> Sounds uh, like AA. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. That, that that's my overriding memory of it. There were a couple of guys from my school, there were a couple of guys from this other school, a couple of guys from hmm. this other school, and so on. It was strange. But, yeah, we, we'd go into the... Uh, Austra- what did they used to call it at the time? The Australasian Doctor Who fan club, I think? A-D- oh, A-D- yeah. WFC or something? Yeah. Whatever it is. And they used to call those gatherings parties, and they'd be at Sydney University. And we used to go in on the train as a bit of a group, looking like a sort of a geeky 80s nerd gang or something yeah and and we'd uh we'd go and hang out with people there and watch episodes of doctor Who, and it seemed quite normal there but in our normal lives no no not at all it's much cooler now to like doctor who oh yeah absolutely but you've all said it was, was on kind of all through the week what time of day was it on Six thirty, i think was six thirty monday mm, to some... thursday oh, it depended mark i think somewhere on at five thirty, i think five thirty to 6 or five thirty to 555 here in country victoria Ah, yeah. So it wasn't like it was hard to find for anybody? Oh, no. No, no, no. Especially living in the country as I did, there was was one commercial station and then there was the ABC. So it was not as if you were spoiled for choice in terms of television in the 70s. So basically it was that or nothing, pretty much. That, the other side of nothing, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I was just going to say, JR, in terms of um, friends at school, in the 80s I moved to a different primary school and in terms of my fandom deepening and becoming more of an obsession was was that second primary school where I, I, I became friends with a fellow named Jason and uh, we went around buying uh, Doctor Who novelizations together at the at the local news agency and you know uh, my 
interest in the show went from you know watching it to reading it yeah uh, in, in 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 terms of the novelizations and it, it may be that if i'd never met jason i probably wouldn't have well started buying him at that stage anyway so um having him as a friend sort of supported my book buying endeavors because uh, it just made it that much easier i've always said that when you start reading whether it's the books or the magazine or whatever that's when you go from being a reactive fan somebody who just watches it when it goes out to somebody who's proactive in other words you choose when you interact with doctor who absolutely yeah so Mm. The first thing you start reading, kind of that to me marks a really huge, really significant development. Rob from Who Wars? Did you were you into collecting the Target novels? Oh, massively, massively. When Rob mentioned it, then I was I could smell the books. Wow! You know, when when you go to the newsagent and. Uh, in my mind, there'd always be someone down on their knees opening a new box from some book distributor and out would come the new Doctor Who books and they'd go up on the shelf. This would be after school days for me, yeah. uh, you know, we'd, we, before we'd catch our bus home. And I, I can I can smell that smell, that sort of cheap paper and print smell that you, you would find in those book sections in the newsagents. And, and the books were very cheap, you know, much cheaper, I think, to us then than they than books are now to kids, I think. Books are mm. very expensive here uh, yeah. in Australia, at least. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much the same over here, really. Were they pretty? Well, the, were the targets widespread then? It sounds I mean, like I all think, yeah. news agents. Yeah, it's, I was going to say it I sounds was... to me like the targets were perhaps just as um, widespread as the television series. Almost in some ways, uh, I can't think how I really want to phrase this, but in some ways, it sounds like it was easier to get into the target books than it was the TV series. From what you've been saying. Well, school libraries had them. Yeah, the school libraries had them. Um, I remember the department stores like Myers, which is a big chain over here, had them. Uh, When I started uh, uh, finishing my collection that we mentioned Minotaur Books in in Melbourne before, they used to get them in. They used to get them in locally, which was like a three-month delay after the UK uh, release date. But they also used to uh, get airmail copies and you pay the extra dollar to get the brand new, um, you know, straight off the shelves. Wow. And I remember the first book I got there in Minotaur was uh, Mordrin Undead in 1984. Wow. I remember my... Go on. I'm just going to say, I remember my school librarian, a primary school, quickly worked out that I liked Doctor Who, and as the the school library got in shipments of books... Uh, she'd let me, you know, uh, fondle the, the contents of the boxes for Doctor <laughs> Who, Doctor Who stuff, and, and that's how I, I believe I came across. I think it was the Tenth Planet novelization. It's the one with the cyber cyber head on the front cover. Sort of, it might have even been Tomb of the Cybermen. Tomb, I think it was she, Tomb. Yeah. So she would let me have first dibs uh, at the Doctor Who books before they were sort of uh, um, covered and uh, and and set up with stamps and all that sort of thing. So it was uh, good times. Rela- I, I want to say something on, controversial yeah, about the Target books. Well, it might not be controversial. And that's that I think the Target books made me like the show more than the show itself did. Yes. I think that comes back to what I was saying about being more proactive in your interaction with it. I mean, is that, I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was the only way we could, in a sense, watch the repeats, wasn't it? Just reading the book. Because most of it, well, I didn't have a VCR till about the mid-80s. And there was no way we'd see a Troughton or a, or a Hartnell. Uh, so that was the only way to relive those uh, those uh, old episodes. Would you get, on, on the television then, were you getting, say, the Pertwees and the early Tom Bakers and that fairly regularly? Yes. I think from about 83 to 85, we were getting, like, we'd get the latest series 
or season, sorry. And then after that, they'd go back and repeat um, the John Pertwee's, usually the only ones in colour, and oh, then right. also a smattering of, of Tom Baker's. We got, like, Robot and Planet the Spider so many times here. People were actually, you know, I think people were finally sick when they used to see it. <laughs> and then um, I think 86, after... So basically, Colin Baker's uh, Season 22 aired in December 85. When that finished, I think, in about February 85... We were then had um, the Mind Robber and then the Crodons, and then we were treated to oh, wow. the John a John Pertwee run, and that was when I was taping uh, like mad because I was taping for myself and also then borrowing video recorders from relatives or not relatives um, friends of our, friends of mine so I could copy the episodes for people in the UK so I could trade them uh, like season twenty three and 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 twenty four and so on so. I wonder uh, if I've memory. ever accidentally caught one of your VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Send us a picture. I'll, I'll be able to. Tr- I'll be able to look at it and find out. <laughs> Jr. I'll tell you how frequent the repeats were for me. I for, for a while there, I believed that the Doctor regenerated from Pertwee to Baker and then back to Pertwee. <laughs> yeah. That's how frequent the repeats were. It was it was ridiculous. And I remember in my the beginning of my final year of uh, high school, um, we went away on a camp just to bond a bit closer as students and, and and robot was on telly and i was sitting there thinking my god i've seen this so many times <laughs> as mark was saying before mm. did you ever find then like mark was saying that when robot or planet of the spiders would go on eventually you'd be sick of it did you ever find that sometimes the stories that you actually looked looked forward to more definitely but preferred in some ways have you found that the amount of times you've been sort of exposed to certain stories has meant that actually perhaps some of your better, more favourite stories are sort of actually the less good ones, shall we say. Have you been overexposed to some of the better ones, perhaps? Um, well, for me, no, because I, I'm, a, I'm an infrequent watcher of my DVDs. Right. I mean, I've, I've probably seen... I've, <laughs> I'll go back to it again. I've seen Horror of Fang Rock more in the last few years <laughs> than I you know, have any other episode or story. But there's always, I mean, because these things for me are tied to my childhood and 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 distinct memories of of you know the time and place of watching it. Yeah. That I might have watched them, you know, so many times, but for for me they sort of never go old or grow old. And in terms of watching something different, well, I, I you know I, I welcome the opportunity through the DVDs to be able to go watch some of the Pertwees that I you know haven't seen for twenty years or twenty five years. So um, yeah, definitely. How about you, Rob? Rob, who was Rob? Was do you find that the the amount of exposure there was to Doctor Who affected how you enjoyed it? Do you think? Uh, on some level, it maybe it did, but as we were saying earlier, the episodes always just used to mash into one another all the time. It's hard to remember when you saw anything, mm. and did you see Revenge of the Cybermen in eighty five and eighty six, or was it eighty five and eighty eight? You, you you don't know. You just sort of lose track of it. It comes around so often. Yeah, and. You know, like Rob, when it comes to the DVDs, I'm doing a run through Pertwee at the moment for an upcoming segment on my podcast, and I'm seeing things I haven't watched since maybe the mid-80s. Um, you know, it's been that long. Wow. So I, I, I really haven't fallen out of love with uh, with any episodes through uh, overwatching, no. Okay, here's a fascinating question for three Australians, because in the United Kingdom... After that third Sylvester McCoy series, 
I think it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that we weren't going to get any more Doctor Who anytime soon. And of course, we didn't have the repeats. So, you know, when Survival finished, that looked like it would be it for Doctor Who on television for a very long time. Did you still get repeats after the series finished? And at what point did you actually realise the series was finished? Um, Rob, from Who Was? We'll start with you. And you, you, you other two just kind of jump in. As far as I recall, it continued, but uh, because the show had stopped, I kind of lost momentum with it myself. Right, uh, yeah. I I travelled to the UK in late 91, uh, funnily enough, with that mate from high school who used to like Doctor Who as well, and we saw things like the New Adventure novels, and even that didn't sort of perk us up. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and it's funny because Kate Orman, who who I knew personally here in Australia... Uh, was ended up writing some of them. Yeah, but even even that didn't get us into them. It was like, oh, the show's done. We've seen it all. Uh, no point to rewatch it now. That was probably my lowest point as a fan. What about you, Mark? And you, Rob from Forty Two? Did you were you aware of the series finishing, and were there still other repeats going on? Or did Doctor Who actually die out at any point in Australia? I think in because we always got the latest series a year afterwards. So yeah. in eighty in eighty eight we got season twenty four. So uh, season twenty six actually aired in nineteen ninety here, but in in between that and it had been moved from say a six thirty slot to a five thirty slot as part of a, a part of a kids uh, uh, children's magazine show called the Afternoon Show I think. So that was still showing Tom Baker's and things. So we were still getting repeats. Um, when Survival ended here, I can't remember if there were... I know there were repeats in early 84... Uh, no, 94, sorry, about 4.30 in the morning. The ABC had a whole heap of repeat rights they had to use, so they just whacked them all on. What they had, we had like a Davison run, and I think early Colin Baker as well, just to get through them, but they were airing at 4.30 in the morning. And I think... Um, my uh, you'd read in DWM and DWB that the show wasn't coming back, but there's always a slither of hope saying, you know, yeah. the door isn't closed and Operation Who and all this sort of stuff was going on in the background. And I read the New Adventures as well, and I think I only read the first ten and didn't particularly really like many of them, apart from Exodus and a couple of others. But um, I, I sort of moved on to Red Dwarf by then. You know, yeah. I, wasn't I haven't really, I wasn't lamenting it. Go on, Rob. Sorry. I have an appeal. I have an appeal to make, if I may. We just mentioned the afternoon show. Mm. Now, when the afternoon show screened "Remembrance of the Daleks" um, yes. in 1988, it was around the time of the anniversary. They would yes. put on a little Who quiz before each episode. Oh, I yeah, was on right. one of those Who quizzes. Oh, yeah. I was there. Yes, I was there. I was dressed as Peter Davison, and my friend Harvey was there as Colin Baker. <laughs> and wow. uh, it's 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 something I've always wanted to see again. It's uh, one of my friends taped it, but then videotapes went the way of the dodo a long time ago. Yeah. And so recently, yeah. I contacted the ABC and said, "Here is the date. Here's what I'm looking for. Can we get this footage?" And like Patrick Troughton, I've been junked. <laughs> they, <laughs> they have not kept the episodes. Phil, so, Morris, get onto it, boy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting out an appeal. I'm, I've, I've got a few, you know, leads with people who, who may have it, like Dallas Jones, who was president of the fan club at the time and was actually on the program with us as well. But I'm just throwing it out there. If anyone has videotapes of uh, Remembrance of the Daleks from 1988 in Australia, please, please, I want that footage. Because right. they tacked on Remembrance at the end of 
Dragonfire, didn't they, for the 25th anniversary. And I remember Remembrance Part 1 screamed on a Thursday because he had that great cliffhanger, the Daleks going up the stairs, and we had to wait till Monday to see the resolution. I remember watching that episode with my dad, and my dad goes, that's more like it, because he'd sat through watching some of Season 24 with me and uh, wasn't overly impressed, but watching that episode, he goes, that's more like it. So we had to wait three days, and it was I just remember it was torture. Wow. <laughs> well, good luck yeah. with that. Hopefully. We were very excited about seeing Remembrance uh, around that time. We'd seen season 24 earlier through the fan club, you know, uh, little yeah. screenings at meetings and things. But actually seeing Remembrance, that was a big deal. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Wow, even back then. Yeah. My, um, I, I just on, yeah. Say, my, yeah. my experience, from about 1987, I think my interest in the show began to wane slightly because I, I remember st- I started to sell off my novelizations to fund other book purchases. Oh, I yeah. think I may have, may have stopped buying DWM. So by the time I left home to go to university in 1990, um, I do recall watching in a friend's dorm room uh, some of uh, season 26. And, and funnily enough, even by that stage, I, I sort of had dropped off. Uh, from 1991 onwards, my interest increased and I was, I was buying the new adventures uh, I, I started buying DWM again. I remember picking up, I think it was uh, issue of DWM where they started covering Power of the Daleks. And I think in that particular episode, there was a the, the Brief Encounters uh, short fiction. And that sort of inspired me to uh, write a, a story and submit it to, to DWM 214, which is if anyone wants to go back through their archive, they can see my story there. So I, I sort of dropped off and then, and then picked, picked myself up after the series had gone off the air. And like the others... I would assume that by reading DWM or, or picking up... At that point in 1991, I started finding and buying back issues of DWB uh, from across Melbourne, and um, I would have found out that the show had been, you know, effective, well, cancelled at that stage. So what did you all make of the TV movie when that came on? And did you find it disappointing that it didn't go to a series? Because, because I'll, I'll preface this with my experience was... <clears throat> I had kind of by the mid 1990s more or less lost interest in Doctor Who. You never actually really truly lose interest, do you? Something that there was that important to you as a child, you'll always find a, a sort of reserve of interest. But when the TV movie came on, it was something that I watched and I videotaped and I kept the videotape. So, you know, it wasn't something I was ever going to throw away. But when it didn't go to a series, a, I wasn't surprised, and B, I don't think I was that disappointed, to be honest. What were your experiences of it, Rob? Since we were talking to you, Rob from Forty Two, you, how, how did you, how did you find the TV movie, and were you disappointed well, when it didn't go to a series? Well, at that stage, um, if anything, my interest in Doctor Who had deepened because I'd started going to the local Doctor Who club of Victoria, and at that stage, I'd left university and started working for, for Minotaur, which is a, a bookshop and comic shop and, and video shop. At that stage, so I was I was able I was there when the uh, the shipments of goods and books and magazines come came from the UK. So I had my hands on DWM early, SF uh, SFX early, TV Zone early, all the magazines that were covering with feverish glee the TV movie. Uh, the, the bitter irony of it is that when the when the uh, the VHS became available, uh, I wasn't able to watch it as soon as it came out because I had to go visit family up north in Victoria. So I, I was about a week behind my a week behind my family. But um, I was intensely interested in it. I was I was I was 
overjoyed that the show had come back in, in that particular format. And uh, I, I remember talking about it amongst my Doctor Who friends uh, with great interest about, you know, you, you know talking about the, the pictures we saw of the production we saw in the magazines. And I was at that stage, uh, through my old university account, able to still keep uh, with, up with Records Doctor Who, one of those old message boards. And, you know, the place was aflame with interest as well. Uh, in terms of watching the show, it look... Uh, it it mirrored in in a lot of ways the sort of TV that was going out that st- that at that time. Um, you know, a lot of it was influenced by the X Files, for instance. Um, so I I got the sense that it was different to what I had grown up and loved. I, I thought that it was entertaining for the most part. It didn't quite feel like the Doctor Who that I knew, but uh, for all that. It was it was very interesting viewing. In terms of was I disappointed that it didn't go to a series? Well, I I really wanted the show to come back. I thought the show belonged on TV, and it, and and even though I was enjoying it a great deal, you know, reading the new adventures and and, and that sort of thing, and the BBV videos, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I wanted it back on TV. So to an extent, I I was disappointed, and I was hopeful up until the realization hit me that no, uh, this wasn't going to pan yeah. out. That the Americans weren't interested, and it just that was just one of those facts of life that you have to shoulder and just move on. Wow. Other Rob, how was your experience of the TV movie? Well, we were mentioning the X-Files a moment ago. I think it got delayed here because the ABC didn't want to put it up against the X-Files, so we got it quite some time after the UK. It might have been a month and a half or so, uh, Wow! if, uh, if that's of interest to, to folk out there. But when... When I saw it, I knew that it, there was a, a joint, you know, US-UK production. I was worried about that. And to me, it didn't look like Doctor Who. Uh, when I look at it now, I look at it completely differently. But at the time, it didn't look like Doctor Who. And then he kissed Grace at the end. And that yeah. kiss was like just... That just blew fandom apart, didn't it? Now it's no big deal at all. But at the time, you know, if you weren't there, you, you have no idea what it was like in fandom for, from that kiss. And it just didn't feel right to me, although I liked the look of the Doctor. I loved that Byronic sort of look. Uh, I thought that was really good. Uh, so as to it not coming back, yeah, I, I actually didn't mind so much because I got into the EDAs, the, the Eighth Doctor Adventure novels from BBC Books yeah. um, in the years after that. And I, I was on a, I was on Arts Doctor Who, like Rob mentioned, but there was also a mailing list called the Jade Pagoda where oh, yes. we would discuss uh, the EDAs and PDAs and things like that. And I was I was right into Doctor Who at that point as as books, as the EDAs, whereas back in the days of the NAs and MAs, no, I couldn't have cared less. But I really, really got into the EDAs for some reason. Maybe it was because the Doctor was a blank slate and you, yeah. know, you, were, you were, you know, seeing an, a character grow from the books rather than from television. How about you, Mark? What was your experience like? I remember watching it with my sunglasses on, only because um, uh, <laughs> this this is the story. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. This will be um, good. This will be good. <laughs> Strap yourselves in, people. It's going to be a longie. No, I. By the time the TV movie had come around, I stepped out of Victorian fandom. I wasn't writing or editing the magazine anymore. I pretty much just dusted my hands and walked away. So when the TV movie was announced, I was you know, pleasantly surprised. When McGann was cast, it looked brilliant because um, with Nail and I was one of my favourite films. So I was more than happy with that, that piece of casting. And I, was, I started getting DWM based on the TV movie coming back and reading. They were you know, really bumping it up, which is great. Uh, we had a local um, video importer uh, in Melbourne, and I, I remember having a conversation with him saying, look, this is going to be really big. You better get heaps of copies of this thing in. 
and uh, every you know once it'd been released in the UK, I think a couple of days later, I rang him up. Have you got him in yet? Yeah, got him in. Okay, uh, I think I was on annual leave that day, and by chance, my my normal prescription glasses had broken, so I had to wear my sunglasses until my <laughs> other ones got fixed. So I went to this warehouse in 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 Melbourne and and turned up there, and I was wearing my sunglasses like Eric Roberts, and there was a queue <laughs> out the door for this bloody video. So get the video and uh, drive home. Very hard driving home with sunglasses on at dark. So anyway, um, kept going. Got home. Mate of mine came over. We sat down and watched it with my sunglasses on. And at the end of it, I just turned to him and said, I don't know what to think about that. Because to me, it was too far removed from the classic series than what I, what mm. I liked. Watching it now, though, I actually really enjoy it. I mean, Eric Roberts is chewing the bloody furniture. Um, but I think the game was great. Grace Holloway, you know, uh, Grace Holloway was great. The, the story, is, the story itself doesn't hang together particularly well. There's some nice set pieces in there. Um, but now I can watch it, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And was I disappointed that I didn't get it a series? Yeah, I was actually. But then that realization hit that it wasn't going to come back. So you just you just move on. And I remember I did read a couple of, of the EDAs, uh, the, the the Eight Doctors, and a couple a couple of those, but. I just dropped off again by then, and I was still buying the VHSs, the, the BBC VHSs. So Doctor Who, in a sense, was still going for me because I was buying them and watching them, yeah, and you know putting putting them back on the shelf. So it didn't really, again, didn't stop. You know, I think I Alien Three, Paul McGann, they mm. pretty much cut his entire part out of that movie. That's right. And I think I kind of saw that as a sign that the TV movie wasn't going to lead to anything because it just felt, uh, it just felt like the wrong moment in Paul McGann's career, that sort of early to mid nineties. It just kind of felt like he was on a downward spiral in his career at that point. I mean, obviously his career has turned around since then. These days you can't move for him on British TV, but at the time it just felt like it was the wrong time. For well, Paul he was McGann. supposed to be. Yeah. Sh- he he was supposed to be sh- the the TV character Sharp when uh, because yes. he started filming the first eight weeks, and apparently he was playing football with the crew and wrecked his knee, and that's, that's when right. they got that's Sean right, Bean. Yeah. So if it wasn't for that in uh, accident, he could have made it big in in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. But then, and an interesting bit of trivia there is that he resembled the Sharp from the novels at the time very well. And then Bernard Cornwell, who writes those novels, started writing Sharp more like the Sean Bean character in the later novels. Oh, really? Uh, which I always ah. thought was quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, because Sharp is meant to be from Yorkshire, and he's meant to have a big scar and black hair and all of this. And, um, you know... No, no, I think he's meant to be from London, I'm sorry. Right. So then when and, Sean yeah. Bean came in with the Sheffield accent and blonde yeah. hair, he sort of changed the character. But Bernard Cornwell liked it so much, he actually changed it in the novels to suit Sean Bean. Wow. Mm. Wow. That is a bit of trivia. Okay, let's... Sorry. (laughs) That's all right. Let's move on to the new series then. Uh, Oh, before we do, JR. Go on, yeah, go ahead. There's one one thing. After the TV movie in the late 90s, we were talking about um, pay television. Foxtel has a UK TV channel. They started showing Doctor Who from the very beginning. And I started to get interested in it then because they'd have omnibus editions of, say, old Hartnell stories and so on. These were videos that either hadn't come out or my brother hadn't bought. And I started taping like a madman around then and watching omnibus editions, particularly of the black and white era, which I really wasn't 
uh, too au fait with in terms of having seen it. Uh, I'd read it, but I hadn't seen it at that point. Did you find any of the black and white story? Because the black and white period of Doctor Who is so much as live in the studio that sometimes the disconnect between that and the version that you've read in the novels is even more apparent than it is with things like Death to the Daleks. I remember when Death to the Daleks came out thinking, oh, wow, this is going to look like Star Wars. And it didn't. It looked like, <laughs> you know, a few rackety old Daleks in a sand pit and a terrible sort of videotape TV studio. Did you find watching those old Hartnells a bit of a shock to the system as well? Ah, oh, Definitely. Definitely. But at the same time, I felt it was important that I was watching them, you know, and had a way to watch them finally. But yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, the flubbed lines, the fact it's more like just a play that's been filmed rather than an actual TV program. Yeah. Incredible. I think, I think that's the, the charm of it now is, you Mm. know, when I'm watching an old black and white Doctor Who, particularly from the first sort of couple of series, I find half my mind is following the story, but the other half is just reveling in the sort of atmosphere of it just being these actors and a small television crew in a tiny little studio working against all the odds just to make something at all. Yeah. And I think also in two, oh, sorry, you go wrong. I was just going to say, I think some of the some of the charm that I have or interest that I have in the, uh, or I take away from watching the Hartnell and, and Troughton uh, episodes is the art of the of making television is then is so different to how it's done now. Mm. Everything we see now is so slickly produced, it's almost, in some productions anyway, soulless. But going back then, uh, Rob said before about, you know, his steam being bespoke. Uh, there's an element of Doctor Who back in the 60s that is that is bespoke, that it's being made on the fly. And some of it feels like it's seat of the pants. But I find a great deal of charm and interest in, in, in how that is produced, how that was made back then. Yeah, yeah, completely. Right, new series. I was going to say one more thing. Oh, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> in, just uh, fact fans. In no, 2003, no, fine. Yeah. 2003 uh, the ABC, I think, showed An Unearthly Child for the show's 40th anniversary. And I think then it kicked off a repeat run all the way from An, an Unearthly Child all the way to the end. And I think it was about 6 o'clock at night on the ABC. Because I only remember because... Um, a lot of my friends were starting to buy DVD recorders and were taping these episodes off off the telly and and putting them onto DVD. And these were all unrestored and it looked like crap, to be perfectly honest, compared to what you see on the DVDs now. I mean, the DVDs look absolutely stunning. Anyway, yeah, that's enough yeah. of my fact fans. And, and, and I want to say one more thing too before we jump to the new series. Go on. I, I, I didn't say this before, but my interest in the show during the 90s, even in the absence of the actual TV show, it deepened to the point where I found myself writing fiction continuously for Sonic Screwdriver, which is the local fanzine down here. And also, I think my mania for missing episodes emerged <laughs> in that decade because, I mean, at that point, I was reading fanzines that were devoted to you know the hunt for missing episodes and, and missing episodes in general. And of course, uh, as some people know, I had a, I played a small part in finding those power clips. So uh, the the absence of the show, strangely enough for me, actually deepened my sense of fandom and my interest in the show um and it it just sort of picked up and accelerated and my obsession uh with the omni rumor at the moment it goes back to the mid 90s as soon as we're at it i'll share something with you that i've never shared on this podcast before the thing that got me back into doctor who big time 1999 
um, just when DVD was starting to appear. And I had friends who worked in record shops and they said, you know, I had walls and walls of bookcases full of VHS tapes, films, TV, all sorts of stuff. And a friend of mine who worked in a record shop said, get rid of them, sell them. In five years, you're not even going to be picking up those VHS tapes. They're going to be worthless. Get rid of them. Buy a DVD recorder and not a DVD recorder, DVD player. Start buying DVDs now. You won't regret it because DVD is going to replace VHS. And there had been other things in the past, like, uh, you know, laser discs and what have you, but nothing had actually replaced VHS. He said, do this. And I thought, right. And I got in touch with one of these companies who'll take your collection off your hands for a fixed fee and said, right, these are all my VHS tapes, sent them a list. They said, this is how much we'll give you and we'll pick them up in a week. And I thought, right, in a week, all these VHS are going to be gone and I'll have this money to buy a DVD player and a few DVDs to get me started. And in a week's time, no longer will I have all my Doctor Who VHSs because they're on the list to be picked up. And it suddenly struck me that even though I'd not picked them up in five or six years, I couldn't live without them. So I spent (laughs) that entire week, which fortunately for me was a week off from work, from seven o'clock in the morning till about one o'clock in the morning with two VHS (laughs) recorders next to each other, (laughs) running off copies of all my Doctor Who VHS tapes. Mm. And so I watched, I must have watched something like a hundred hours of Doctor Who across those seven (laughs) days. And I tell you what, for some people, that might have been the last straw, and you might never have wanted to pick up a Doctor Who VHS tape ever again. But watching Hartnell, Troughton, Tom Baker, John Pertwee, just hours and hours and hours of it, all in that one week, got me right back into it. Mm. Yeah. I drip fed my selling of Doctor Who VHSs oh, did when you? a new one was announced and then put it on eBay. Ah, right. Yeah, this was before the internet for me. I didn't even have the internet back then, yeah. But that was the thing. That was such a weird experience, that one weird week that got me back into it. But I tell you why I've brought that up is because that's when I started buying Doctor Who magazine again and uh, got back copies and reread the back copies that I'd missed during the 1990s and then started to become aware of there being... You know, there's always been rumours that Doctor Who's going to come back and you hear certain actors' names mentioned and you think that's ridiculous. But I think it was about that time, sort of around about 2000, when they did start releasing Doctor Who on DVD. Because this is the thing, I made these copies because I was thinking Doctor Who will never be released on DVD. How little did I know? (laughs) But it was about that time where I suddenly thought to myself, Doctor Who will come back. There was no doubt in my mind from about 2000 onwards, that Doctor Who was a series that would be brought back in some shape or form at some point in the not-too-distant future. So here's my question for you three guys. Uh, I guess start with who was Rob? Okay. Before the announcement, did you think Doctor Who would come back? And did you think that if it came back, it would be some kind of ridiculous comedy version of Doctor Who? Or did you think that there was a good chance that Doctor Who would come back and in the hands of people who would do it right. I thought it would come back at some stage. Yep, absolutely. I think I'd been a little burned, though, by the, the TV movie, and, mm. and I did worry in what format it would come back. 
How about uh, Rob, the other Rob? How about you? Did you think it would come back? And uh, your thoughts on that? Mm. Um, I'd never given up the hope that it would come back, but I think given the the sort of damp squib that was the fortieth anniversary, yeah, uh, it, it didn't didn't perk my hopes up a great deal. I'd if 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 it was going to come back, I'd thought that it might have to strip itself right back. Uh, and just be, you know, an alien time traveling, and and just, you know, remove a whole lot of that continuity that become crusted onto the show. Yeah. But I'd, you know, I'd, look, I'd hoped that it would come back. I wasn't overly confident, and, and when news of it did, was announced, I was, I was astounded. I was astounded that it had actually come back. And Mark, how about you? I thought it was dead. I'd yeah. actually started selling off a lot of my merchandise. I was actually about to start selling off my DWMs because I thought. There's nothing left to cover. They've only they've interviewed Bonnie Langford 18 times. How many more yeah. times can you do it? <laughs> so I started shifting them on eBay, and and um, I you know had bits and pieces. But I remember I was in Sydney, ironically, uh, on a holiday, and a mate of mine rang me. He goes, "You're not going to believe this." I said, "What?" He goes, "They're bringing Doctor Who back." I said, "Oh yeah, you're talking rubbish." And it started fil- the news started filtering out. And of course, when you, you heard the RTD being attached, and I'd seen um, Queer as Folk before. And I thought that was a great, great series. I had a oh, well, I'm a bit my my hopes are a bit, my fears are a bit more allayed. And when I was in the, in the shops, and my mate said, "Oh, they've cast a doctor." I said, "Oh, who is it?" He goes, "CE." I said, "Well, who the hell's CE?" He goes, "Eccleston." I said, "Oh my God, they are taking it seriously." Yeah. So yeah, once those two uh, players were put into place, um, I felt a lot more comfortable about it. But I knew it could never be what it was before, and I was actually okay with that this time. All right, right. Rob from Who Wars, do you remember where you heard and what you thought about the news? I don't remember where I was, um, but one thing I do remember is very soon after I thought, oh gee, all the old merchandise is going to go up in value, and if there's anything <laughs> I really want, I better go and buy it now. And I went out and bought the first Hartnell annual on eBay, because <laughs> I thought this will probably double in price in a year's time when everyone's back into Doctor Who, so... That that was the uh, the capitalist in me, I think, um, reacting to it. That's, <laughs> that's my main story there. I had something very similar. As soon as I heard it was coming back, I went straight out and bought a copy of Damaged Goods while it was still under a tenner. Nice. Yeah, yeah because I knew yeah. that one would be going up in value pretty soon. Rob what about Weird Abix cards? <clears throat> uh, no, I've had to wait a long time since to pick up those, but and largely thanks to an Australian as well. But, 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 Rob from Just 40... Just back to the mother country. Yeah. <laughs> but Rob from 42, uh, do you remember where you were when you heard the news and how the news struck you? Well, I was uh, at work and um, at work we had, uh, you know, we had computers we were working on, you know, day to day. But we, uh, in theory, we had access to the internet, but we weren't meant to because, you know, we meant to be working hard for the man. And But I had, uh, through my boss, my manager who sat next to me, I had access to... Uh, to the internet via her, you know, username and password. Uh, so instead of doing work, as it was my want, uh, one morning I was trawling through uh, Gallifrey, outpost Gallifrey, as it was at that stage, and the news came through, and I, was, I, I couldn't quite believe that the BBC had announced that Doctor Who was coming back under the stewardship of Russell T Davies, and it just sort of it it blew my mind. To be frank, it blew my mind. I mean, like, as I said before, I'd hoped it'd come back, but like Mark, I I just didn't think it was it was ever going to eventuate. So um, yeah, it was just amazing, absolutely amazing. And so then, a question for all three of you, pretty much to finish up now. But when it came back, what did you think? I said, Rob, seeing as you were talking. 
Stick with you. Uh, well, yeah, well, th- th- again, thanks to uh, Outpost Gallifrey, uh, someone mentioned that uh, Rose had leaked out onto a torrent site. So uh, sadly, I only had a, a 28.8 kbps connection, so I couldn't download it. But I did have a friend who had a very quick connection. So we were able to, a group of us uh, gathered uh, that weekend uh, that it had leaked, and we were able to watch it. And um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching Rose, uh, even though it was uh, you know a few months before I should have been able to legally see it. Uh, you know, I, I, there were you know a couple of things that I, I wasn't quite a fan of, but I thought overall what Davies had done, uh, you know, what Eccleston br- brought to the role, I, I really loved it. And for that entire first series, I mean, I was all over the message boards, all over the forums, uh, happily being spoiled just to just to see, just to experience the vibe. And every and as every episode was uh, broadcast in the UK, I went around to that friend's place and he burned off a DVD for me, and I was I was like a pig in muck uh, uh-huh. for that first the first <laughs> season. Mark, did you enjoy that first series? What were your thoughts on, you know, Doctor Who, The Return? Like Rob, I remember bumping into a guy as I was walking to work, and he go, I hadn't seen him in years, and he said to me, how are you going? I said, good, thanks. He says, have you seen Rose yet? I said, no, I haven't seen it at all. We've been on the ABC in a couple, you know, a few months' time. He goes, I've got a copy of it. And I said, oh, I'd love to see it. He goes, meet me here tomorrow, and I'll give you the disc. <laughs> It's like a nefarious sort of under-the-counter <laughs> drug deal. Anyway, so I met him and I got the disc and then I took it to work and I had my work laptop and, of course, the bloody thing wouldn't play because it didn't have the right codex. I had my manager at the time give me a hand trying to get these codex going. Anyway, took my laptop home and I said to the wife, don't interrupt me, don't anybody ring me, I don't want to talk to anybody, I'm just going to lock myself in the room for 45 minutes. I'm actually watching something clean. Just let me get on with it. So, and then, but I told a mate of mine, oh, yeah, exactly. I told a mate of mine I got a copy. So, like, he was ringing my wife while I was watching this thing. What's it like? What's it like? And I'm going, oh, for, you know, F's sake. Anyway, I walked out of there. She goes, what was it like? I said, I don't know. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, and when it transmitted on the ABC, I watched it again. I still wasn't too sure. Like Rob said, there's a few things I didn't particularly like about it. But when End of the World came on, I was happy. That, oh, that episode sold it to me more than what Rose did. Right. Rob from Who Wars, how about you? I was lucky. I made a friend on a forum. I think it must have been Outpost Gallifrey or somewhere like that. And he agreed to um, to, to copy them to, to DVDs and send them out to me. So I saw Rose the, the second Monday after it had aired in the UK and, and subsequent episodes after that. And I could tell it was different i could tell there was an element in it for the kids but i took it in fun and i thought okay this is fun and uh, i felt that way for the first probably three or four episodes by about the time you reach dalek though it was like oh this is actually very good and i think the second half of that series um is 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 quite good so very very finally highs and lows of the last 10 years of new who rob from who was i'll stick with you your, oh. your favourite and least favourite moments of the last 10 years. I don't know. Just pick a couple out. Not necessarily. Uh, Go okay. on. Le- least favourite, Christopher Eccleston only lasting a year. Um, wonderful moment. Matt Smith just proving to be incredible in the role when I thought he might be a little young and I don't really know who this guy is. Yeah, fair enough. Mark, how about you? Uh, high points, there have been some great episodes. Listen, Blink, Human Nature, Family of Blood. Uh, seeing Tom Baker, Tom Baker again on the 50th anniversary was fantastic. Yes. And, and, and myself yes. travelling over to the UK and experiencing the XL convention was you know, amazing to me. Low points, 
Um, some of the arc resolutions haven't been to my liking, have they, JR? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to thump my desk. But, you know, on the whole, am I happy it's back? Yeah, you bet, because it's getting a whole new audience and, and new people are loving it and embracing it, and that's what it's all about. And finally, Rob from 42, your lows and highs of the last 10 years. High points, going to see the the Day of the Doctor in the cinema with my wife and two kids, uh, nearly crying when Tom Baker appears on the screen. Big old sook that I am. Uh, Capaldi being cast is another high for me. Mm. He's just wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. Lows, um, not Christopher Eccleston not staying for at least another year. I, I, it's just a, just, a, just a pity, but I'm happy with what we've got. And the the Tenth Doctor Rose relationship in the second series, it just had me just tearing my hair out. It just made me feel ill. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And 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 for the audience, made me feel ill. <laughs> <laughs> right, I have got a couple of very short emails. If you don't mind, shall I do those before we go? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. From on Twitter, actually, I got a short tweet from graham leggett on twitter who said about our uh our last episode but one he said he said i was on the return leg of my daily commute before i got to the part where you actually talked about gridlock <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's move on shall we jr okay gerard I, I think it was i was gonna say i think it was one of my letters that sort of added to that problem wasn't it i think it was into, yeah discussing and, it yeah, yeah. sorry <laughs> Oh, we don't mind that, though. A chatting podcast is a chatting podcast. We chat. Gerard Gray says, Dear Blue Box podcast team, it's been a while since I last sent you an email. Sorry about that. I've been very busy lately. I've been enjoying your podcast as I always do. Love the Tooth and Claw review and the interview with Douglas McKinnon was fascinating. What a talented director he is. Thumbs up to that, Gerard. I have a few podcasts to catch up with and I'm looking forward to hearing them. Thanks for brightening up the week and for the laughs I always have listening to the podcast. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Gerard. And finally, from, nice. from Betsy Chevron. Dear Blue Boxers, I am writing to you in the hope of offering some assistance to Mr. Sharak Jizz. He frequently <laughs> complains of tiredness in his hands and I wonder if he has consulted an <laughs> orthopaedic specialist. If not, it may be worth speaking to a clinician with expertise in this area as fatigue such as this may be indicative of injury, infection or chronic illness affecting major organs such as the heart or liver that is otherwise asymptomatic. In the meantime, there are various hand exercises that may be effective, and I am told that sometimes manipulating clay can be extremely therapeutic for those with arthritis and other musculoskeletal complaints. Perhaps he should purchase some Play-Doh. Best wishes, former orthopaedic nursing assistant Betsy Chevron. <laughs> well, thanks for those emails, guys. Uh, and now, before we go... Just to get from you three guys, where can people find your podcasts? Uh, Rob from Who Wars, where can people find Who Wars? Uh, we're on iTunes, you can find us there, but the easiest way is to go to whowars.net and all the information's there. Excellent. And Mark or Rob, or both of you simultaneously, how about 42 to Doomsday? 42 to Doomsday, you can find it on iTunes, uh, Stitcher.com, Player FM. Uh, go to our uh, blog, which is 42toDoomsday at wordpress.com, and all the information is there. Uh, we try and release an episode every two weeks, but fail most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not for want of trying, of course. No, exactly. We'll have another one out by the end of the week, I promise. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. I hope it's been worth your whiles. It has. It Thank you for inviting fun. us. It's been great. It's been, yeah, it's been, well, I've been, you know, like I said, I've been planning this for the last, well, I've been intending to do this for the last few months, and I'm glad I finally have, and have spent the last hour and a half being corrected about what it's like to watch Doctor Who in Australia. Thanks. There's only three Australian Doctor Who podcasts anyway, so there's not many to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case then, until next time, when... Oh, actually, we thought we were going to be talking about K9 and company, but it turns out our listeners have given a little surge at the end, and we'll be talking about The Awakening instead. Thanks oh, for lovely. Thanks nice. for saving us from K9, guys. Uh, but until then, I've been JR. I've been Mark from 42 to Doomsday. And I've been Rob from 42 to Doomsday. I am Rob from Who Was. <laughs> and we'll speak again soon. You stay classy, planet Earth. <laughs> Fair enough. And don't throw bodies in the... Oh, no, wrong show. Definitely <laughs> the wrong show. Don't you dare do that catchphrase on the Blue Box podcast. <laughs> we'll speak again soon. <laughs>